Our Father God, we thank you that uh, we get to come together again and open your word again this weekend. We thank you for what was heard in the last hour. Pray that it would be built upon in this hour as we further consider uh, your good gift of marriage. Father, help us to look to you as the architect. Help us to look to your word as the blueprint. And Father, we pray that by your spirit we would be granted not only understanding, uh, Father, but Uh, the application of it in our own lives and as we seek to come alongside and to encourage others to look unto Christ and to exalt his holy name. And so we commit this time to you to that end. Amen. All right, so in this hour, uh, turn to your notes on session two. We're going to be looking at the role of the husband, the role of the husband. Um, Before we get into that, though, I probably ought to go ahead and, and state the obvious that uh, I am still a work in progress as we consider the husband, the husband's role. Uh, Laura and I had the opportunity uh, just a few weeks ago to celebrate our 22nd anniversary. Yes. And uh, I let her know it's probably a good thing that I'm teaching on the role of the husband this weekend because I could use a little bit of a, uh, a refresher course myself, and I won't let you know whether or not she agreed with that statement or not. But uh, either way, here I am. And let me just tell you a little bit of our history. And so we um, married 22 years ago. First couple of years, pretty much just an extended honeymoon. Uh, it, was, it was wonderful. And then about year three, the reality of James chapter 4, verse 1, began to sink in. Uh, we began to have unmet expectations. And that began to take us down that slippery slope called bitterness and resentment. And it was during that time that I really began to ponder uh, more deeply Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. What exactly does that mean? What exactly does that look like? And I knew that to the degree my marriage was not a clear reflection of Christ, it came back at least largely to me as the one who was the head of the home and the one who's supposed to love her as Christ loved the church. So in God's sweet providence, there was a new book that came out about the third year of my marriage called The Complete Husband. And it just so happened, out of state, meeting a stranger who didn't know me, gave me a copy of this new book because he was excited to have it. And so I was excited to know, a practical guide for improved biblical husbanding, husbanding uh, exactly how I could love Christ or love my wife as Christ in the church. And so for several years, I went through this every year. In fact, going through it again uh, this year with a few guys at our church and uh, an excellent Excellent book that I found very helpful in helping me learn to love my wife as Christ loved the church. In fact, on my 40th birthday, after seeking to honor the Lord in the context of our marriage, my wife gave me this present, one of the best I've ever received. It's the top 40 reasons why you are the complete husband. Oh, that's sweet. What I'm thinking is, how much time did you spend on Pinterest to come up with 40 ways? And there's 40 ways, so I really don't have time to read these to you. But maybe four out of 40? You want a few? All right. I'll uh, humor you for a moment and probably thoroughly embarrass myself. How about number 37? You coached me through the most amazing home birth 
and delivered our baby. I would do it 100 more times with you by my side. Well, that was a few years ago. We have 99 to go. So you can pray for us in that. As I'm getting older and time slipping away, you'll understand if I have to get away a little bit earlier tonight. Okay, here's another one. I told you four, didn't I? How about number 30? You cut my hair really well. Yes, it is true. I am my wife's beautician on occasion. (laughs) But before you think, oh, that's so sweet, that's so romantic, you need to know a little background. In high school, I had a landscaping business. (laughs) I got really good at the weed eater. Doesn't take long at all. Not that big of a deal. All right, well, let's skip down. How about the top two? Number two, your love toward me has taught me more about God's love than any Bible study or sermon. And number one, you are fulfilling your calling from Ephesians 5 to love me as Christ loves the church. Now, I share that with you, not to boast in any way, because ultimately there is only one complete husband, correct? And that is not me, sorry. (laughs) Uh, That is the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, But to be complete is to have a sense of maturity, Christ-likeness. And by God's grace, in looking to Him, looking to His Word, He has not only established our marriage, but in the course of 22 years has caused it to thrive as I have looked to Christ and sought to live according to the precepts of His Word. And so that's what we're going to look at tonight, the precepts of God's Word in how to be a biblical husband. And so, that said, as we look at the scriptures, as we look at the role of the husband, um, we see from Genesis to Revelation, marriage. And marriage is something that's God's design. It's something that he looked at and said, it is very good. And so we want to know the goodness of God's marriage as he has designed it and as he prescribes it to us in his word, even in the midst of a culture that has ultimately rejected it, um, it, God still upholds it. And as people, we are to do the same. It is something to be delighted in. And so as we consider um, this role, my aim in this hour is to, in essence, paint a biblical portrait of the role of the husband. Uh, so that the gospel might be clearly embraced, it might be clearly exemplified in our lives as husbands and as we seek to help other men love their wives as Christ loved the church. So to that end, open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to spend pretty much the whole time looking at one main passage, Ephesians 5 verses 22 uh, to 33, which is a key text that certainly we're going to want to help husbands understand as we're working with them and helping them understand what it means to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And, and just a side note for the wives here, um, this is obviously going to be focused on the husbands. I would encourage you, if you hear something that you really want to make sure your husband heard, don't give him an elbow, because guess what the next hour is going to be about? The wife's role. All right? So we're heirs of grace. We need to give grace in this hour. All right. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 24. Uh, We see starting out here the husband's role, and that is of headship. 
the husband's role, headship. So Ephesians 5, 22 and 24 says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to your husbands whenever you're in the mood. (laughs) Is that the version you had? Sorry, these glasses aren't very good. Let me try again. Wives should submit in... Oh, that's a big word. In everything to their husbands. Okay, now... Just one qualification here. Um, Submit to their husbands in everything. Go back to verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And so in everything doesn't mean if your husband is telling you you need to sin against God, you submit first and foremost to the Lord. Okay, so just that little clarification there. Submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. And so the focus right now, though, is the headship of the husband. And headship, this is important that we understand this as men, also as we counsel others, we help them to understand this, but headship uh, mandates responsibility. And so look again at verse 23. The husband, it doesn't say might be the head of the wife. It says the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And so note here the verb is, the husband is the head. Not that he will eventually earn that role. But rather, on the wedding day, when he says, I do, he was given that role as the head. He is the head. He assumes that God-given responsibility. Concerning headship, John Piper wrote this. He says, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and God came to call them to account, it didn't matter that Eve had sinned also. God said, Adam, where are you. That's God's word to the family today. Adam, husband, father, where are you? As the head of the home, where are you? And so from creation until Christ's return, God has given the husband, the head of the home, the responsibility to direct and to govern his home. Dennis Rainey years ago said this. He says, two can ride a horse, but only one can be in front. And it's the husband's role to be in front, in a sense, and to to lead. And therefore, next, headship mandates leadership. So we consider Ephesians 5, 22 and 24. Uh, some time ago, I received an email that uh, contained some humorous uh, church announcements. And one of them said this. Ladies, don't forget the rummage cell. It's a chance to get rid of those things not worth keeping around the house. Bring your husband's. Now that can be taken in uh, one of two ways, obviously Uh, And yet a wife will be tempted to not want to keep her husband around the house If he fails to lead her according to the scriptures To love her as Christ loved the church And so as Paul wrote this letter to the church in Ephesus uh, He was addressing a culture Where husbands often refused or abused uh, The God-honoring leadership that they were supposed to have And guess what? As there is no temptation, which is not common to man, that's still a very real issue today where husbands um, refuse, they abuse, they neglect that which God has given to them. 
In addressing this, uh, Lou Priolo, in his book, The Complete Husband, says, By giving you the position of head, God has given you a uniform. It's a uniform that's probably still too big for you. In fact, he goes on to say it's probably seven sizes too big for you. But you must continue to do all you can to fill that uniform. And so thankfully, God has given us this great calling as husbands. It may seem impossible, not because our wives are so difficult, but to love our wives as Christ loved the church is a high calling because Christ loved the church perfectly and we are imperfect. But this is his calling to us, that we would look to Christ, to be able to fill that uniform, to live out that role as he has prescribed for us in the scriptures. And so next, as we consider headship and leadership, Ephesians 5, 25 to 33 points us uh, to what must be the husband's resolve. What must be the husband's resolve, his commitment? And that ultimately is of love. In this passage, the husband's primary calling, his command is to love his wife. We see the mandate to love. That mandate is found in God's word. It is God's word. Husbands, love your wives. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husband, love your wives. The, the verb here, love, it's a command that's repeated three times in nine verses. Okay, so in case we don't get it the first time, we get it another time. In case we don't get it the second time, we get it a third time. When there's repetition, it's emphasizing a great importance and significance. So husbands, love your wives. This is to be a continuous activity, not just that which takes place upon the wedding day, but that which takes place throughout the marriage. We're to love our wives for better or worse. And so how then is a husband to love his wife uh, in this way, to love her continuously? Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And so here we see the model of love. We're not to, to sit around and guess what that may look like to, to love our wives. We love our wives as Christ loved the church. If we go back uh, to the first part of Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, it says, Walk in love, conduct yourselves in love, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And so if a husband is to love his wife, he must look to Christ, who exemplified the love of God for his people. So such love, as Stuart Scott defines in his book, The Exemplary Husband, says this, a selfless and enduring commitment of the will to care about and benefit another person by righteous, truthful, and compassionate thoughts, words, and actions. And so that's what it means for a husband to, to love his wife. Now that then brings us to the next part. What is then the motive of the husband to love his wife as Christ loved the church? Why should we want to do that? Well, that then takes us to the gospel. Again, looking at Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave, up, or gave himself up for her. And so in order for the church to be unified with Christ, to become the bride of Christ, Christ had to pay the ultimate price. He went to the cross, sacrificially, substitutionarily, laid down his life for us, that he might redeem us as sinners with the cost of his own blood. And so it is the love of Christ, his love for us, that enables us and then also compels us to be the husband that would love our wives as Christ has loved the church. Now, I think it's important in, in counseling 
as we work with with husbands, uh, we need to be careful not just to uh, help them understand what they're to do, uh, because that can become just moralism and legalism. But they, we need to work with them to make sure they understand the motive in which they are to do that which God has called them to do. They need to be compelled by the love of Christ. We need to point them to Christ and, and seek uh, to make sure, one, that they understand the gospel, that they have embraced the gospel, that they know the love of Christ for themselves, that they may be able then to exemplify the love of Christ to others. And so that's important in counseling as we're working with, with perhaps a marriage that's not going well is to examine the husband's relationship with the Lord. Does he know the love of Christ for himself in a saving way? If not, can we realistically expect him to be able to love his wife as Christ of the church? He may try externally, so things may get better, but the reality of it is, if he's not in Christ, if he does not know the love of Christ in that sense, then our mission with him is to continue to proclaim the gospel to him, the great love of Christ, that he might then be able to love the Christ, uh, love Christ as Christ has loved the church. To that end, Dave Harvey, uh, in his book, When Sinners Say I Do, said, To be able to look forward to a lifelong, thriving marriage, you must have a clear understanding of not communication techniques, not financial principles, but of the gospel. Without it, you cannot see God, yourself, or your marriage for what they truly are. The gospel is the fountain of a thriving marriage. And so as a husband is compelled by the gospel to love his wife, how does he love his wife as Christ loved the church? And that brings us to the next point, the manner of love. The manner of love. And that is Christ-likeness. And so that was my question years and years ago, is what does it actually look like to love my wife as Christ loved the church? I, I want to do that. I desire to honor God in that way. I want to love my wife in that way. But what does that actually look like? Well, we have it laid out here in the text. Uh, first word there, initiatory. So we see this in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And so in Christ's relationship with the church, who is it that initiated and made possible that relationship? It was Christ. He's the one that demonstrated the love of God for us and made it possible for us to come into a relationship, an eternal covenant with him. He initiates that relationship. 1 John 4.19 says, We love because he first loved us. And as Christ initiates that relationship with us, his church, so husbands are the, to be the initiators, the ones who continue to try to stir up that love in the marriage relationship. In her excellent book, The Mark of a Man, Elizabeth Elliot says this, the important thing for you as a man to remember is that a woman cannot properly be the responder unless the husband is properly the initiator. He must take the lead in order that she may follow, as in a dance. The willingness of each to perform the steps that have been choreographed gives the other freedom. Now, how many dancers do we have in here? Wow, that's not very many. You must be Baptist. <laughs> I am too, it's okay. And so in a dance, and I've actually tried it a few times, it didn't go very well. 
I take dance lessons. But what's supposed to happen in a dance is the man is supposed to lead and the woman follows. And as they both learn how to do that well, it is a beautiful thing to behold, right? But it's a husband who is to take that lead. And as they fulfill their roles together, it is beautiful to behold. And as that kind of marriage takes place with Christ at the center, then the reflection of God's love is demonstrated to the world as they watch that marriage. Wayne Mack says this uh, concerning the love in a marriage. He says, when there is not enough love in the marriage, one place for a husband to look is in the mirror. And that one hits home. Because when she's not loved me the way that I think I ought to be loved, when she doesn't love me as much as I love myself, what's wrong with her? But really the question ought to be, am I loving her as Christ loved the church that she would respond to that kind of love? And so as husbands, we need to, to look first into the mirror of God's word. And are we loving her as Christ loved the church? And when you're doing counseling, you're going to find that oftentimes they're going to want to point fingers, Right. And what we need to have the husband do is rather than pointing fingers at the wife to examine himself in light of God's word and seek to work on that which God would have him first and foremost to work on. And that is most likely his own heart. And so next, he loves initiatorily, but also sacrificially. Christ's love is sacrificial. Ephesians 5.25 says Christ gave. He gave what? Himself. Up for who? For her, for the church. And so Christ gave his very life for the church. And so is the husband to also give his life, to live his life for the benefit of his wife. Now, I've never done marriage counseling where a wife has complained that the husband is just too generous. I've never had a wife tell me, he never lets me do the dishes. It just hasn't happened yet. I hope one day it will, but uh, it, it just hasn't. Rather, marriages tend to suffer uh, when the husband sacrifices meaningful conversation, meaningful companionship uh, to go do those things that he wants to do. So maybe there's the, the, the golf in the morning on Saturday, then three games of football after that. Uh, is the wife going to feel very cherished? Well, maybe if she's a golfer and likes football, they do it together. <laughs> but usually that's not the case. Right. And so he needs to sacrifice perhaps some of those desires of his own in order to love her and the things that she might prefer to do. And so if the husband's love for the wife is based on the wife's love for him, then you get into this conditional type of love. You love me this way. I'll love you that way. That's not how Christ loved the church. It was 100 percent. He laid down his life to accomplish the Father's will. And likewise, husbands are to be fully committed to sacrificially loving their wives. Romans 5.8 says, But God shows His love for us in this, for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so as husbands, we often need to be reminded um, that love is not based upon how we feel uh, towards our spouse, towards our wives, uh, when things aren't going well, but rather based upon the commitment for better or worse that we made on our wedding day. And I've found in, in marriage counseling that most often when husbands will resolve to love their wives as Christ loved the church, worse usually gets better in a, a fairly rapid pace. And so again, that resolve 
to love their wives as Christ loved the church. A great homework assignment you might consider in sacrificial love. Philippians uh, chapter 2, verse 4 uh, says, Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. And so one way that a husband can sacrificially um, love his wife is to just find out what are her interests. Um, what are the things that, that she would prefer, that she would like to do? And I might give a homework assignment. Of, I want you to go home with this verse, think about this, and write down ten ways that you can consider the interest of your wives, consider her more significant than yourself, how to, to live this out. And when we meet back next week, let's try to go ahead and put three of those into practice. And so I'm having him think through uh, the calling, the biblical calling, but also practically how to do that and encouraging him then to go uh, fulfill those things as appropriate in the context of that marriage. All right, so Christ's love is not only initiatory and sacrificial, but also it's sanctifying. Christ is committed to making his bride holy. And this is what Paul describes in Ephesians 5, 26 and 27, when he writes that Christ uh, might sanctify her, the church, sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Since that is Christ's resolve, that is his work. Uh, On this, Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote, He, being Jesus Christ, cannot stop at the first step, being justification. He goes on to sanctify her. In other words, his death upon the cross for us and our sins was simply the first step in a great process. And he does not stop at the first step. He has a complete purpose for the church, and he will go through it all step by step. Step, And thus, a husband's love should move his wife from sin and towards Christ. It should be sanctifying. Going back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, uh, where was Adam when Eve took and ate of that forbidden fruit? Genesis 3, 6 says that he was right there with her. And so rather than participating in sin... A husband needs to lead his wife away from the forbidden tree and to the rugged cross, away from those temptations and to the one who has overcome those temptations, who paid the price for where we have fallen short of the glory of God, to lead her back to Christ. And so, husbands, a good question to ask your wives might be this. uh, How does God's word address the particular struggles that your wife struggles with? And so as we're working with others and we begin to hear the struggles, we want to help the husband then become, in a very real sense, the counselor of his wife. What are the struggles that she has and how does God's word address that? Because it's the husband's calling to sanctify his wife as Christ has likewise sanctified the church. We are to be a main means of sanctification for our wives with the word of God. As we follow Christ ourselves, open the word of God with our wives and encourage them to follow us as they follow Christ. And so we see also then in verses 28 and 29, uh, what manner of love, how do we love our wives? We do so by being attentive. Ephesians 5, 28 and 29 says, In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, 
just as Christ does the church. And so husbands are called to love their wives as they love themselves. Love your wife as you love yourself. Now, as we think about this, we all, whether we want to acknowledge or not, love ourselves. Right? It's not love the Lord your God by your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor uh, as, as yourself and then love yourself. There's not a, a third command. We already love ourselves. The problem is we need to learn to love God and love others at least as ourselves for a neighbor and love God above all else. Okay, there's not a third command built into that. And so as we think about that natural tendency to love ourselves, as we think about a husband, as we think about anybody, but we'll focus in on husbands now. When a husband is hungry, what's he probably going to do? Go get something to eat. And if he has the ability, what's he going to go get to eat? His, his, his favorite food. Okay, so for me, that's going to be asparagus, right? And it's going to be... Lots of asparagus, because I like it a whole lot. In fact, if you've been to my house, you've probably seen three asparaguses bed around the property, because I love myself, and I want to feed myself asparagus. I acknowledge it. I try to love others above that, but it's there. So what is a uh, husband going to do if he gets thirsty? He's probably going to get something to drink. And if he likes asparagus, why not? Asparagus juice. And if he didn't quite get completely satisfied and he's still hungry and wants a dessert, what's he probably going to do? Get his dessert. And did you know they actually make asparagus ice cream? (laughs) Some of you don't love the same things I love. That's okay. But what he's going to do is he's going to seek to provide for those things that he wants. And he knows what he wants because he's attentive to himself. But he needs to also learn to be attentive to his wife and seek to provide those things for her at least to the same degree that he seeks to provide for his own needs and interest. Now, for a husband uh, to know his wife, there's a calling in 1 Peter 3, 7. It says, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. And so in marriage counseling, sometimes a husband might complain that his wife, well, she just nags too much. This is really nothing new. You have Adam and Eve here at the fall. Will you please pick up your clothes? <laughs> Notice this started at the fall. <laughs> and sometimes a husband has a wife who just explodes in fury. Now in counseling, I've had husbands say such things as, what did I, des- what did I do to deserve this? Do you see what I have to put up with? And actually, in the counseling room, I've seen things sort of like this. I mean, he's unloaded on. And yet, Proverbs 18, 17, we want to hear both sides, right? We want to, Proverbs 18, 15, be intelligent, get all the facts, and make sure we hear both sides, examine both people. And what I've usually found, and not in all scenarios, but as I then talk with the wife, I quickly find out that probably there's a sense of loneliness 
there's a sense of where she's become embittered in part because the one who pursued her so well before the marriage has abandoned her or before the wedding has abandoned her after the wedding in the marriage. And so, again, we want to um, help husbands know what it means to live out this verse, to live with their wives in an understanding way. Now, complicated question here. Um, Live with your wife in an understanding way. How can husbands know what their wives are struggling with? Yeah, really two words. Ask her. Right? It's, it's not that complicated, though sometimes it can be complicated. We, we need to, um, one, make sure she knows it's safe, that she would actually be able to answer us with transparency. Um, but also, we actually care enough to hear what she's saying. And sometimes we have to help draw it out of her to help her understand what's even going on within her own heart. Uh, but we, we seek to ask her. First Peter 3, 7, this is the KJV version. It says, Husbands, dwell with them, <clears throat> being the wives, according to knowledge. And so husbands need then to learn his wife for himself, according to knowledge. Now, perhaps in contrast to a husband's tendency towards passivity um, or harshness, um, God says it's the husband's responsibility to live with his wife according to knowledge. Now, this knowledge, ultimately, first and foremost, is of God's word. Okay, He needs to know God's word so he can discern things biblically. But also, he has to know his wife and her struggles, her tendencies, so that he can take her from wherever she's at, whatever she's struggling with, to the word of God as part of the sanctification process. But in order for him to help her, he has to know her. He has to live with her in an understanding way. Now, that can be difficult at times, as we see here in this mind reader. Uh, This mind reader is saying, Madam, how can I be expected to read your mind when you keep on changing it? (laughs) I won't ask you husbands to raise your hand if you've ever experienced something like that. The reality of it is men and women both do that. Women are just said to have the prerogative to do that. But that doesn't change our calling husbands to live with our wives in an understanding way, even if they continue to change their minds. We just have to work a little bit harder at it. And so that is our calling to understand them, to live with them according to an understanding way. So how do we do this? One is through continuous communication. Continuous communication. As husbands, we should know what our wives like and what they dislike. Uh, What are her preferences? What are her needs? What are her struggles? What are her temptations? Again, asking good questions helps clarify both the issues at hand and the issues of the heart that we talked about in key elements last weekend. It's a Proverbs 20, verse 5. The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. And again, we draw it out by asking good questions. Uh, Lou Priello said this, uh, You're the one, husband, who must take the initiative to draw out of your wife the information necessary to develop and maintain the one flesh intimacy God intends you to have with her. Okay, that's important. And so if the marriage is not going well, what is my responsibility? Quite a few. But the one I'm looking for is to to initiate communication um, with her, to ask good questions, to see what her perspective on this is, uh, in what ways 
uh, could I demonstrate more Christ-likeness towards you in the concern that you have? How can I pray for you? That's always a good question, right? How can I pray for you? Because that tends to bring out the struggles that they're having. And then we actually pray for them. And not only do we pray for them, but we also offer the opportunity to open God's word with her in light of those struggles and to live with her in an understanding way. And so through communication. Now, if, if you're like me, sometimes I need a little bit of help in uh, how to ask my wife good questions. I'm not overly creative. Has anybody ever been on a date? You don't have to raise your hand, but you've been on a date and you're having a great dinner. At least the food's good anyways, but you just don't know what to talk about. Okay, I've been there some. And so I found it helpful, especially when I'm tired and not overly creative, to cheat a little bit. Um, and so in your notebook there, I think you have 50 questions to ask your wife. So if you want to initiate some conversation um, that's meaningful, that can be enjoyable, maybe sometimes a little painful, that's not always a bad thing, uh, something to work on together, um, those are some good questions to engage our wives, to, to seek to understand them, that we can know how to live with them in an understanding way. And so some great resources there. There's a handout, also a great book. Um, called The Exemplary Husband. And in the back of that, there's a worksheet uh, work, uh, work on uh, spiritual leadership. And uh, excellent for men to go through. I've taken several groups of guys through this. I seek to go through this still on a regular basis uh, to help me lead my wife, to love her in an understanding way. And so good resources. And also The Complete Husband, uh, good book, um, starting in Chapter 2 at the end. There's questions that you're meant to interact with your wife. Um, and I'll just go ahead and give the warning. They're great questions. If she gives you great answers, there's going to be a high expectation you'll live according to the answer she's given you. And so this is dangerous, but if you take it seriously, it's actually really, really good. And, and perhaps at some point you might even get a plaque if you, uh, if you do those. And so great ways to engage your wife in meaningful ways and to deepen that relationship God intends for you. Another way, of course, to uh, have continuous communication to pursue our wives is in prayer uh, and in persistent prayer. And so as we learn and discern our wives, um, we need to to prayerfully uh, seek the Lord that uh, we might not only know his word, but also know, know her struggles and how to speak the truth to her in love, how to graciously come alongside her and to help her uh, with the word of God. And so we pray for her. Hopefully um, we can establish praying with her, the husband praying with the wife, not only for the wife. And, and that may be something you have to encourage them to do. Maybe teach them even how to do that, what that might look like. Give them a passage to pray together. Um, but certainly we want them praying for each other and praying with each other. Another aspect of, uh, of loving um, our wives as we look back at Ephesians 5.29 is to nourish your wife, to nourish your wife. John MacArthur says that to nourish his wife, a husband to nourish his wife is to provide for her needs, to give her that which helps her grow and mature in favor with God and man. And so practically, this can look like several different things. Um, a couple of different passages to consider. One, meeting her material needs. Meeting her material needs. First Timothy chapter 5, verse 8 implies that if a husband does not provide for his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. 
Okay, that may be a verse you need to use with a husband because part of their problems in marriage is that he is providing for all the things that he wants, but in doing that, it's not providing for his own family. And he is called to provide for his own family. And so sometimes um, it's just meeting the material needs that may be there. Another one, meeting her emotional needs, as you can. James 1.19 says, be quick to hear and slow to speak. This is important sometimes in helping husbands. Uh, the wife states a problem to some degree. The husband immediately wants to fix it. Yeah, because that's what we do best. She may not want the problem fixed, at least not right then. And so we need to be quick to listen and slow to speak, really understand, and then prayerfully discern how you might then help her look to Christ amidst fixing that problem if that is indeed something that needs to be fixed. And again, how might a husband find out if he is meeting the emotional needs of his wife? This is deep. Ask her, right? It's not rocket science. Number three, meet her spiritual needs. Right, A wife, as all of us, um, the greatest need is that we would fellowship daily with our Lord and Savior uh, through prayer and through the Word. And so especially as more and more kids come, and I've got 99 more left to come, <laughs> I'm going to need to somehow make sure that my wife, in the midst of that, has time to be in the Word. Right? She needs to daily look to Him, depend upon Him. And so uh, seek to make that a reality. Um, and so give her that time there. Also, husbands, we are to lead out in that in our homes. It is the fathers who are to bring up the children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We are to be, as the head of the home, uh, the spiritual leader. So we want to certainly make sure we are leading our wives spiritually. Another component is to meet her physical needs. And so loving husbands will put the needs and desires of his wife uh, above his own. And I'm not going to get into this in this hour because next weekend you get a whole session on this. And so I encourage you to come back for that. Very, very good session. Um, but to sum all this up, what it means for a husband to nourish his wife, um, you might consider a gardener. So nourishing is not a word we use a whole lot, but let's, let's take a gardener and let's take somebody perhaps that likes to raise asparagus. <laughs> I know how to do that, so I'll use that analogy, right? To raise asparagus, you get an asparagus bulb. You put it in good soil, and when the ground is dry, what do you do? Water. You guys are good gardeners. And eventually, because we live in a fallen world, what's going to come in and compete for the, for the soil and nutrients? Weeds. And what do you do with those weeds? You pull them out. Why? Because they hinder the growth, the not fruitfulness of Asparagus, because it's a vegetable, but the vegetativeness of the vegetable is going to hinder that. And so you water it, you seek to, to protect it from those things that would harm it or hinder it from growing. All right? Likewise, husbands, we're to do that with our wives. We're to nourish them in the things that would help them grow in Christ likeness. We're to intentionally uh, be involved in their lives, see where they're struggling, bring them to Christ, bring them to his word. We're to pray for them. We're to provide for them. We're to protect them. And in doing so, we're also then cherishing our wives. Again, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 29, the husband is called to cherish his wife. Uh, this means that first he will seek to be patient and gentle with her. 
Okay, and again, often when there's marriage counseling that's needed, um, that has not been the case. He has not been patient. He has not been gentle. Uh, Colossians 3.19, husbands, love your wives. And this is to be a continuous action, not just a one-time thing, but husband, continuously love your wives. And in contrast to love, do not be harsh with them. When is it okay for a husband to be harsh with his wife? Never. The command is to love. The command is also to not be harsh. Okay? If a husband is harsh with his wife, is she going to feel very cherished? No, just the opposite. And so to cherish the wife is to love her and to make sure we are not harsh with her. Another way that we cherish her is to treat her with respect. To treat her with respect. Now, as we think about a wife, um, she is a gift of the Lord to the husband. And if she is in Christ, then she is a, a princess of the King of Kings. And she has been entrusted to the husband as an heir of grace. She has great worth, dignity, and value. And a husband will cherish her and treat her in that regards. Also, to cherish a wife, a husband can ensure her in his love for her. 1 John 3.18 says, Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And so again, in counseling, you may be working with a couple, and uh, he may tell his wife right in front of you, I love you. He may try to convince you he loves his wife, and he says all the right things. But what does he do? His actions may be completely contradictory to his statement that he loves her. How assured is a wife of her husband's love for her when he's constantly viewing pornography? Or when he's indulging in alcohol or drugs or things that could bring financial ruin to the family? And then he says, I love you. That is not love. And so he assures her of his love, both through his words and also through his deeds. Another way to cherish a wife is to express appreciation and affection to her. Proverbs 31, 28 says, a husband praises his wife. Now, let's be honest. Don't we all like to see at least a little bit of encouragement from time to time? I mean, we live in a world that's got a lot of things that can discourage us, Right. But when the person closest to you, who knows you best horizontally, uh, your spouse if you're married, when they encourage you on a regular basis, um, that is a way of cherishing our, our spouses. Uh, Wayne Mack said this in his book, Strengthening Your Marriage. He says, to express appreciation for insights, ideas, questions, prayers, character, opinions, and fellowship, as well as for her cooking and cleaning and satisfying your physical needs. And then as Wayne Mack is very good at doing, he suggests the husbands write out 90 to 100 ways to appreciate your wife. He always has a big list. <laughs> I, I narrow that down to make it more doable. <laughs> let's, let's work on the size up first. Uh, and so I might ask them, you know, what are, what are 10 ways that you can express appreciation to your wife this week? And uh, let's, let's seek to communicate at least three of those this week. So what we're doing is we're just getting him to be thankful for the good things that he does see. Maybe rather than focusing on the bad things that he would prefer not to be there. 
And so encourage him to express appreciation. And that's part of cherishing her as well. And so in coming to the last part of this passage, Ephesians 5, 29 through 33, uh, we see that the husband's loving leadership in marriage is to be purposeful. It is to be purposeful, very intentional. Ephesians 5, 29 to 33, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Verse 33, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So why does marriage primarily exist? What is the ultimate purpose of marriage? It is to glorify God, and we glorify God as we reflect the mystery of the gospel. And so the ultimate purpose of marriage is to embrace, it's to exemplify, it's to exposit the mystery of the gospel. And this mystery, what is this mystery? Well, this mystery, as we study the book of Ephesians, it's that God would send his own son into this world. And he would reconcile Jew and Gentile, two peoples that used to despise each other. He would reconcile them into one new man, the church. And what was the purpose of that church? To live to the praise of his glorious grace, to reflect back his goodness to the world that watches And likewise, in marriage, what did we just read? What do we see? What's the purpose of marriage? It's to likewise communicate, to reflect the mystery of the gospel. And so marriage isn't about your wife serving you asparagus all the time. Marriage isn't about what I can get out of it. Marriage is about you uh, seeking to reflect the glory and the goodness of God. Marriage is to be a platform in which the gospel is Proclaim. That is the ultimate purpose of marriage. John Piper writes in Desiring God, As each pursues in the joy of the other and fulfills a God-ordained role, the mystery of the marriage as the parable of Christ in the church becomes manifest for his great glory and for our great joy. So that said, the husband then should purpose to exemplify the love of Christ that she might respond joyously to you. And so wife obviously is going to find it much easier to respond well to a husband, to submit to a husband, to love a husband who loves her as Christ loved the church, who loves her with the love of Christ. And so therefore a husband should wholeheartedly commit his marriage as a means to make much of Christ. Uh, Dave Harvey in his book, um, When Sinners Say I Do, wrote this. He says, Marriage is embedded in the culture as a gospel testimony that is always making statements. The only question is whether it's a good statement or a bad one. And so husbands need to be taught that that their marriages uh, are, are to be there to bring glory to God as together they serve Christ and his church to a world that is watching. John Piper uh, goes on to say again in this momentary marriage, says the gospel of Christ crucified for our sins is the foundation of our lives. Marriage exists to display it. 
as we demonstrate the love of Christ in the context of a marriage. And that responsibility rests primarily upon the husband to love his wife as Christ loved the church. Several years ago, my wife and I were counseling a younger couple, and we were working through Psalm uh, 34. And uh, after that was all said and done, we were discussing Psalm 34.3 and decided to make this our marriage purpose statement. And it says this, Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt His name together. That's a great marriage statement, is it not? Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt His name together. Uh, Let me conclude with a final quote here from John Piper. And this, again, is from his book, The Momentary Marriage. He says, When a man joyfully bears the God-given responsibility for Christ-like, Servant leadership and provision and protection in the home for the spiritual well-being of the family, for the discipline and education for the children, for the stewardship of money, for the holding of a steady job, for the healing of discord. I have never met a wife who is sorry she married such a man. Because when God designs a thing like marriage, he designs it for his glory and our good. And so in counseling, as we're working with husbands, this is what we strive towards, to help them look to Christ. This is a job that is far bigger than any of us can do. And yet in Christ, we can do all things. And so we continue to look to him who is the complete husband. And he is the one who is able to bring us to maturity as husbands as we seek to love our wives as Christ loved the church. A few resources um, that I would put out there for your consideration. The Exemplary Husband by Stuart Scott. Again, an excellent book. Um, I go through that with men on a regular basis. Uh, one of my favorites also mentioned The Complete Husband, Strengthen Your Marriage by Wayne Mack. Again, a lot of questions there that couples are meant to interact with. Uh, pretty much, he'll ask a question, give you a whole bunch of verses to look up and consider, to paraphrase those, and to discuss together. So very good for for good discussion. Uh, Paul Tripp, what did you expect? I think that's actually been changed now to marriage. I think it's six gospel commitments for couples to live by or something like that. So uh, Paul Tripp, marriage. And then uh, also a great little pamphlet. And I'll use this in marriage counseling frequently. Um, Usually a first meeting or even before the first meeting, perhaps I'm able to get this to them. This is by Jay Adams. Uh, What to do when your marriage goes sour. And uh, this is just excellent to help them think biblically about marriage and also get them thinking about um, the steps that probably will need to be taken in order to truly love each other <clears throat> as Christ has loved the church. All right, let me, let me wrap us up in a word of prayer. Our Father, we do thank you for all the wonderful gifts that you give to us. We know that every good and perfect gift is from above, and we know that Marriage uh, existed even uh, before sin entered into the world as an institution uh, where uh, husband and wife could delight in you, delight in one another, where no sin was present. And yet we certainly know that uh, in this day we live in a fallen world and we struggle with our own sins. And Father, we struggle to love others uh, in their struggles. And yet we thank you that Christ is sufficient. We thank you that Christ's word is sufficient. And so, Father, I pray for the men in this room, for the husbands, uh, that they would continually look unto Christ. And, Father, as they see their own failures, that they wouldn't give up, 
but rather uh, they would acknowledge those things, they would confess those things, and they would look again unto Christ. And the more and more that they look to Him and depend upon Him and seek Him for the grace uh, to love as He has first loved us, uh, Father, the more they will become like Him. And so, Father, I pray for each of us that we would become more and more like Christ and that we would love our wives as Christ loved the church. The gospel uh, would go forth, that it would be proclaimed, that we would be exemplified, uh, the gospel would be exemplified in the context of our marriages. And so, Father, we pray for those here. We pray for those that we will have the privilege to work with. And, Father, we thank you again that you've given us your word that we can point them uh, to Christ. And so we pray that you would continue to build, to establish, and to expand your church. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.